June is LGBTQ Pride Month, and whether or not same-sex relationships are sinful is a point of contention, particularly in the Western church. Well, Bobby and I are gonna do something a little bit different today, where we're gonna take opposing sides and lay out the best case possible. Thinking Christians, welcome to the Unapologetic Show, where we defend truth without compromise with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I'm your host, Tim Hall. We are doing something a little bit different, like I said in the intro for this episode. So even though that I share the traditional viewpoint in Christianity, I'm going to take kind of the opposite side and lay out some of the best affirming cases that we can, and then we'll respond to them and just have a little bit of informal dialogue or, or debate, right? So this is, you know, there's no timer here or anything like <laughs> yeah. that. Uh, I am going to lean heavily on a YouTuber named Geeky Justin. And so these are some of his arguments that he's laid out that I thought were really quality. And he's coming from the perspective of the Bible is the word of God, and it's authoritative in the Christian life. Because I know that when oftentimes Christians are making kind of the the opposing view, they're either denying some scriptural truth or de- denying the Bible is God's word. They're kind of picking and choosing uh, what in the Bible they really want to hold on to. So uh, for his arguments, he's really kind of coming at maybe a traditional viewpoint from Scripture and its authority. But he's really focusing on um, how can homosexuals be relationally fulfilled? And I think that's really important for the church to talk about and for us to have a conversation about today. So I'm just going to go ahead and kind of lay out this first argument and then respond unless there's something that you want to pick up on there from the intro, Bobby. Okay. So... Now, the first argument is the companionship argument. So in the beginning, uh, God designed human beings to be in a relationship in Genesis. And when he created all of creation, he said that something was that everything was good. But then when he created man, he said that something wasn't good. And what wasn't good is that man was alone. And so the, one, the interesting point that uh, is drawn out here is that God didn't say to Adam that God was sufficient for him, but yet he said that Adam needs human companionship. And so he makes Eve from Adam's flesh for his life partner. And this is kind of to complete that human, human longing and companionship And we see that companionship theme kind of throughout. So not just any person will do for Jacob when Jacob falls for Rachel, uh, but he is tricked into marrying Leah. And instead he works another seven years for the chance to marry Rachel because he wants a specific somebody, not just anybody. Uh, He wants to be with the person that he loves. And we see that throughout the Bible that this matters to God, that companionship and the marriage bond matters. And that leads us to kind of Paul, where Paul is talking about uh, singleness and solitude, but how to thrive in that. And sometimes not everybody is called to celibacy. Paul felt like that he was called to celibacy, but he recognizes that it's an unrealistic and inappropriate to try to force that calling onto everybody. He wrote, I wish that all, whereas I myself am, but each has their own gift from God, and it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So Paul saw celibacy as a higher calling than marriage, but even Paul didn't think that everyone was cut out for celibacy. So same-sex marriage wasn't part of the culture where the Bible was written, and sexual orientation is never explicitly discussed. Well, we've grown in our understanding about sexual orientation from research and listening to people's stories, and Christians around the world have been wrestling with how to inform or how that informs and how we can apply that to a scripture in our modern day. So many Christians want to argue that 
that no one should be excluded from marriage. And other people think that people that have same-sex orientation should be excluded from marriage. But the compassionate approach is to apply the biblical marriage standards to everyone making allowances for orientation. Bobby, how do we respond to that? I would absolutely uh, concede that we have a desire for companionship, and I'm very sympathetic to that. And my heart goes out to homosexual people uh, that do uh, struggle uh, wanting to be married and feeling like they, let's say they're a homosexual Christian, aren't allowed to do so. Mm. Nevertheless, I don't think that in the Bible we can say that you could go ahead and have a homosexual marriage because A, there was uh, you know no homosexual marriages back then, and so now we have the freedom to make that happen today. The reason there wasn't allowance for homosexual marriages back then is because homosexual behavior in general mm. was forbidden in Scripture, just as uh, heterosexual uh, unmarried uh, sex was considered uh, wrong as well. Yeah, uh, the the statement that you know the ancient culture uh, has no discussion really about sexual orientation is just false. There's mm-hmm. lots of discussion on sexual orientation. I mean, even the Bible addresses that. Uh, it, we're told how our sexual drive is to be oriented. Yeah. Uh, we're told what context it's to be oriented in uh, between a man and a woman. So I don't think we are to assume that. That there were no people that were living in the Greco-Roman world that uh, were lacking uh, or, or that were struggling, uh, you know, with homosexuality yeah. and weren't able to act out on it. There were people that were struggling that way, and they were challenged uh, to, you know, be chased in that way. So uh, I'm sure those discussions came up for people uh, at that time where they would feel the tension of, ma'am, why is it that heterosexual people uh, get married? Yeah. Uh, I want companionship. So it's not like this idea for marital homosexual companionship is new to the day that we're living in. Right. It's just we are the first culture, so to speak, to legalize this. Mm. Uh, in the ancient day, uh, you know, I think that the Bible has a very uh, high, uh, you know, a very high bar is it set for sexuality. Yeah. So I think we can validate people for sure that, you know what, that would be tough. I mean, it's easy for me to stop and think as a straight guy, what would it be like if homosexuality was the only way uh, to be married and heterosexual marriage was wrong? Uh, that would be very difficult. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't have companionship. Right. Uh, when God created Eve for Adam, there was no other human being on planet Earth. A, uh, the purpose of the companionship was much bigger than sexuality. It was right. procreation, yeah. which homosexuals aren't able to do. They're not able to procreate. Right. So I, I think what we need to do is, as Christians is we happen to live in a culture uh, that is pro-LGBTQ, that is gay-affirming in marriage. And while we should vote our values, I don't think that we uh, you know, have to have this martyr mindset that we can't exist with, uh, co- with 
you know, people who struggle from same sex, with people who get into same sex marriage, excuse me, and think that we have to alienate. I think that we have to be able to hold our values in the church without compromise, but that doesn't mean we can't be loving. That doesn't mean we can't be gracious. It doesn't mean we can't validate, nor does it mean we can't empathize. Yeah. Uh, I think that's excellent. So let's go to kind of argument number two. And you talked about So I convinced you. Oh yeah, totally. Okay, good. (laughs) Argument number one, totally. Uh, No, I think the most important thing with argument number one that, uh, that you draw, that you, that you were drawing out there was uh, in that Genesis passage that came, that Eve wasn't merely a companion that there was very there was a specific role to um, be fruitful and, mul- and multiply right. when he was bringing the other animals when 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 God brought the animals to Adam it wasn't just that he was naming them and he was looking for uh, you know just kind of relational hanging out and whatever relational fulfillment it was that that there was no possibility of him procreating with any of those animals to be able to be fruitful and multiply. And I think that that's a a key component of that. Yeah. And the other thing, Tim, is all the animals that God brought to Adam, they were all male and female. He didn't bring like some animals in male pairs and said, here's some companionship. It was all a male, female uh, aspect. And that was for procreative purposes. So to take the Bible and say, we have a desire for companionship and God created Eve for Adam. Therefore, we should be able to get married uh, to people if we're homosexual is to read into the text, not to do exegesis, which is to extract what it says from the text. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about some of these texts. So um, the second argument is the love, not sex argument. Uh, And again, these are, you know, uh, someone else's labels. Um, So again, I'm kind of paraphrasing a lot of what this person kind of wrote out. His name is Geeky Justin, for anyone that wants to check out his channel. Um, Like so many other issues we face today, sexual orientation is never uh, discussed in the Bible. And again, we've already talked about how that's not necessarily true. Uh, And people on both sides will try to argue that the Bible's silence on this point is automatically evidence for their side, but it's not that simple. We're trying to make arguments about love and relationships and people's future uh, on the basis of a handful of passages that aren't really about those things. So when you're gay, it is frustrating to hear people tell you that a passage about gang rape like Genesis 19 or Judges 19 is supposed to answer your question about loneliness and whether you can ever fall in love, not just have sex, but just fall in love. The passages in the New New Testament that refer to homosexuality, like in Romans 1, Paul describes people who have turned from God to worship idols and engage in licentious sex acts. As a result, again, possibly referencing the temple prostitution and related sex rights. He has described them here uh, to remind his audience not to point the finger because they are also sinful. Uh, then we have 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, and 1 Timothy 1, uh, 9, and 10, where homosexual behavior is indicated in a list of other sinful behaviors, but neither of them address the category of a loving, monogamous, same-sex relationship, but something closer to temple prostitution and other awful things. So how would you respond to argument number two here? Well, there's a number of issues that I would take with this. Uh, the Bible, for example— when we look at these passages, it sounds like this person says, hey, here's the verses that you bring out about homosexuality. Don't bring the verses out about homosexuality. Right. So what are we supposed to do? Yeah. Uh, so uh, then he'll say, well, uh, you know, they didn't have homosexual marriage then, uh, but we do now uh, because there's a recognition of companionship and a desire for love and sex that homosexual people have. 
Well, it's not like in the ancient world that people didn't have a desire, as I already mentioned, for companionships, for love, and for sex. Um, I mean, what are we going to say today? Like, let's legalize uh, polygamous marriage because... Even in the Bible, uh, you know, we can see that, I mean, if anything, you'd have a stronger case uh, making a case for polygamous marriages. Right. Uh, And funny enough, you'll have people that are non-Christians today that would say, you know what, Uh, we're not going to allow for polygamous marriages. You have a better chance of using the Bible to prove polygamous marriages than you would homosexual marriages. Mm -hmm. Though we can understand and make a case of why polygamous marriages aren't God's ideal, that he was working in spite of them. Now, uh, let me go on record and say the church sometimes has done, you know, an imbalanced job of picking on the sin of homosexuality. I do think that there are lots of sexual sins, pedophilia, yeah. uh, pederasty. Uh, there can be sex outside of marriage. Uh, there can be lust, pornography. There, there's lots right. of sexual sins. There's just a way that God expects us to operate when it comes to being sexually pure. Mm. I'm very sympathetic again to the person that is homosexual and they want uh, love, sex, companionship. I do think that they can have companionship. I do think that they can have love. I don't think that they can have uh, sex, uh, gay sex. I don't think that the Bible would permit that. Right. So, um, you know, even giving the Bible the benefit of the doubt, if I was a gay Christian, what I want to say, guess what? The Bible is not, uh, you know, t- fit to talk about homosexual marriage, and I desire sex, love, and companionship. And therefore, since the Bible's talking about homosexual acts that seem to be outside of the context of love and companionship, mm-hmm. therefore, I'm going to draw the conclusion that it's okay. Or would I rather err on the side of, you know what, I might be risking that right there and assuming something on the Bible. I think for me, uh, as a heterosexual Christian man, that I would rather err on the side of caution Mm. than start trying to say that uh, it's okay by building out these arguments from silence. Yeah. No, I think, again, I think that's a great point. Uh, and, you know, again, I'll just echo some of that. I mean, even in these, the verses in 1 Corinthians and in 1 Timothy that, that, that uh, you know, that this person referenced here, the term that's actually used is kind of a almost a made up term that Paul he's kind of putting two words together there. Yeah, Arsenicoitis. And so uh, that again that does have some connotation to it. But then it's also always spoken of negatively, like you've talked about. And so if the culture knew and understood what kind of what was going on and uh, that people had kind of these desires, they you know we would we would think that they would be covered. You know that it would be like oh, but. Let me remind you of the exception here. You know, yeah. uh, Steve and and, uh, and Paul over there, they're okay, but these guys over here, they're doing this, and there's none of that. There's just there's no provision for it at all, which again makes it very difficult. And not only that, Tim. I mean, we've got people who practice homosexual lifestyles that are Christians that have recognized what the Bible states. So I don't have to be the heterosexual guy talking about this. I could just right. refer people to Joe Dallas yeah. to look at his book called The Gay Gospel, mm-hmm. or Christopher Yuan uh, in his book, Holy Sexuality, who actually uh, caught HIV virus because mm-hmm. he was so active in a homosexual lifestyle. And Christopher Yuan talks about a holy sexuality that, you know what, uh, as homosexuals, we can recognize that there's companionship and love for us. And uh, yes, we got to be celibate as it relates to sex, uh, but we don't have to see ourselves as people who don't get to be married. Uh, We're in a relationship with 
the great bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And we need to make sure that we keep our focus on him. And so I think that we can trust that there are people who are already out there that have lived a gay lifestyle that Mm. look at the Bible and say, uh, these people are just wrong. Matthew Vines and people like this uh, person that you're talking about right here. And, uh, you know, we should let them hash out these kind of debates because, uh, you know, there's going to be more credibility for somebody who's lived that lifestyle and still holds fast to the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. So let's turn to this third one, because this is going to address a little bit more of uh, kind of the uh, hermeneutic kind of drawing out some of these principles. Uh, I've I've labeled it the context has changed arguments. This is argument number three, and this is probably where we'll wrap up today. Uh, One of the big challenges of Bible interpretation is that you always have to consider the context, not only the context of the passage. And again, we've talked about this before, but of the of the Bible, but you have to look at the historical context and what's going on around it. And so when the New Testament speaks negatively of tax collectors, it's not that tax collecting itself is sinful, but that the practices of the tax collector is what's actually sinful, and it was sinful in that context. But if you know that the context, if you know this context and you know what actually isn't that the person themselves is sinful as a tax collector, but it is what they're doing, then that helps shed a little bit of light on that. Uh, when the Bible, when Christian theologians are looking at the Bible, they have an, this age-old adage, a text without a context is a pretext for a proof text. And I thought that was pretty, <laughs> pretty pithy. Um, for instance, when uh, Israelite men are told in Leviticus not to lie with other men, they're also forbidden to get tattoos, to cut their hair, or shave later in the New Testament. And Paul requires women to wear head coverings and requires men to have short hair. But most Christian theologians agree that these rules are tied to a specific context. The significance of long hair for Paul or tattoos for the Israelites was uh, very different from the significance of those things today. A tattoo, for instance, had a religious significance in that culture, and they weren't just decorations, and uh, they weren't just decorations, and that understanding helps us interpret those passages. So if we're going to be consistent in our biblical interpretation, we need to consider the context of these passages just as much as we do with other things. What type of same-sex behavior was practiced at that time? What is the cultural significance, and what points are were these passages trying to make in that context, and how do we apply this in our situation today? Is there a difference between gang rape and lust that's out of control and references of Romans? one there, and two people who want to commit their lives to each other. I think another uh, example that uh, wasn't given here would be something like divorce, that we've now made provisions for divorce, but at one time, uh, divorce, and throughout Christian history, divorce had a very negative connotation, and so the culture has changed, and now, you know, Christian couples are seen to be getting divorced at the same rate that, you know, non-Christian couples are getting divorced at. So, when we're looking at uh, interpretations, how do we know whether or not the context has changed, and so the rules have been laxed? Well, the divorce issue, I mean, that's that's a tragedy that we have as right. many divorces that we do have here. The, the Bible hasn't changed on what it says in regards to divorce. Exactly. Uh, the culture, you know, has uh, made provisions for people to get divorces in ways maybe where the Bible wouldn't, but that doesn't mean the Bible has changed. Mm. Uh, As it relates to tattoos and cutting your beard or even homosexuality, uh, when we go into Leviticus, uh, what this is about is 
cultural distinction. Mm. God's people were to be distinct and set apart uh, from the surrounding communities. And so people, uh, you know, for idolatrous reasons, would have uh, tattoos uh, in a certain way. The Egyptian culture, they were clean shaved, right? Uh, God's people as Jews, uh, there was something that they were to model through even their aesthetic. So uh, that's not to say that that still holds fast today. And I'm sympathetic uh, to that because we don't have that particular problem where people um, are getting tattoos uh, because they're trying to worship some idol. If they were, we would say that that's forbidden. Right. Uh, as it relates to uh, a man lying with a woman, uh, well, we also have in the Torah, uh, you know, prohibitions against heterosexual sex outside of the context of marriage. Right. In fact, uh, you know, it is stringent. I mean, you hear things like, hey, um, you know what? if this person commits adultery, um, that they could be stoned. Well, this is under a theocracy. Yeah. Uh, Jesus comes on the scene. I know that some would debate whether or not this would fall into the autographa because it's not in the earliest manuscripts, but where Jesus tells the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more, mm-hmm. he is without sin, cast the first stone. I do think that that is fitting of the Jesus that we do know. So you have God operating uh, under a theocracy where he shows the high standard of how we're to live live and the laws that are enforced that it's impossible for anybody to live up to it. Right. Ultimately, Jesus comes and fulfills the moral law, but now we don't live under a theocracy. Right. Uh, so we can live in a culture where people have various opinions while still holding fast to biblical truth. And when we think about uh, the kind of argument that is being made here, I just think that, again, uh, there's a desperation to try to draw on things like slavery, for example. Slavery um, in the Bible is not to be equated with the slavery in the antebellum South. Yeah, um, Slavery in the Bible uh, was basically a system for getting out of debt. Mm. And the Bible also talked about how the masters were to treat their slaves with dignity. And when you compare the A&E, the ancient Near Eastern surrounding cultures, the way that masters treated slaves was horrific and the bar was upped in a significant way. And so they didn't have a big government that could bail people out of debt. And so you would have people who were supposed to be generous masters and so much so the slaves uh, could give themselves as they wanted to, to lifelong service by having an owl put in their ear, so to speak. And that is to say, there were many slaves that recognized uh, that it was better for them to be under the slave or master that they had because uh, they were so well treated, they were provided, they were loved, and that they were cared for. Um, So that's not to say um, that you know, a master, I mean, if a master mistreated a slave, they experienced serious consequences. In the antebellum South, there were some people who were using the Bible uh, to make slavery right. But the problem was, is the kind of slavery that they were practicing was horrific. I mean, it it was the the abuse. It was saying that that African-Americans were less than human. They weren't treated with equal dignity. So there were so many problems that uh, were evident with that. So to use that as an example then to say that now the Bible's evolved and we can have homosexual marriage, we just need to realize that there had to have been people and there were people that were homosexual and they cared yeah. about each other deeply and they were practicing uh, you know, sexuality with one another. Right. And we don't see anywhere that 
there is discussions of guess what that that's okay then yeah no I think that's great I think that goes back to even um, uh, context is important but when we see things like Leviticus uh, when we see God judging other nations for those types those same types of sins then we can assert that it's more than just a civil thing it's more than just an unclean thing it's actually a moral law and then we can also look to see is this reiterated somewhere in the New Testament and we even see that we see the references of that in the New Testament that uh, homosexuality has a, a prohibition against it. And so those aren't things that we can just, oh, that was bygones. We can just let that go. Things like eating shellfish or, you know, wearing fabrics of different, um, uh, wearing clothes of different fabrics and stuff like that. There are certain civil, you know, laws that was going on. There's certain ceremonial laws, but then there was also the moral law that was kind of wrapped in and what those carry over, I think are really important. How would you respond specifically to something like the, the head covering Thing and that Paul's talking about, or women being silent in church, and now we say, well, you know, they're not silent in church now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what, what shifted there? How would we look at something like that? Well, I mean, I think that the standard answer would be that you know, there, there the, these are some cultural things that were important. I mean, there were some cultures where uh, you know women weren't as educated, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know they were to be silent. But that's not to say that all women were uneducated. Right. I mean, you had Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, you had uh, Philip. He had four deaconesses who are daughters. Uh, Jesus had women who were traveling with him who obviously would have learned a bunch being at the master's feet all right. the time. Uh, so I think that those are tough passages um, in, in at, at times, but I don't think um, somebody wearing a head covering uh, in that culture, uh, you know, that we can look at today and say, everybody needs to wear head coverings. Mm. Uh, we need to understand that the particular context that that was written in and why Paul was addressing that culture culture as such. And that can help us to navigate some of these tough waters that we're in. At the end of the day, my conclusion is we do need to be empathetic. We do need to validate. We need to be compassionate, but we don't need to compromise. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we hope this episode was helpful as you wrestle with some of these, as you have conversations with other people, and as you consider uh, how you should approach those in the LGBTQ community during Pride Month. We'll see you next time on The Unapologetic Show. You've been listening to Unapologetic with Dr. Bobby Conway, the one-minute apologist. I am your host, Tim Hall. Be sure to listen to Bobby on Pastor's Perspective Monday through Thursday, as well as like, share, and subscribe to the One Minute Apologist YouTube channel, where we have over 1,000 videos. We would also like to remind you that this is a listener-supported program. We would greatly appreciate your support in any amount so we could continue to provide this ministry. If you would like to be a part of our team in any capacity, please visit our website at oneminuteapologist.com. And while you're there, check out all of Bobby's books, courses, and even invite him to speak at your church or event. Thank you for listening to Unapologetic, where we defend truth without compromise. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa.